Hey guys, welcome to Evangel Church Online, a safe place to explore faith in Jesus, receive his love, and look more and more like him each day. And today, let's talk about remembering. My name is Lucas. I'm one of the pastors here at Evangel Church in beautiful Powell River, British Columbia. Welcome. Let me ask you a question. When is the last time you sat down just to remember? You know, the last time that you had a moment of just looking back over life and remembering the past. Uh, I had a bit of a moment this last week. Google uh, I have I used to have Android phones, and so I had all my pictures and stuff on Google. And uh, I got an email saying, "Hey, you're gonna lose photos uh, if you don't transfer them." So I had to go on and do a whole transfer thing from from Google Photo Archives. And one of the photos that was in was actually a photo that I took when we were taking Kaylee home from the hospital. She was in this little pink like thing, and it was a pink toque and. And man, did that like in a moment, in an instant, bring me back. And remembering, remembering is powerful. And it's powerful in like a lot of different kind of ways. Um, and not all in good ways. Remembering has uh, nostalgia, but it can also be mixed with pain. Sometimes you can remember the good things. You can remember uh, where you've been and how far you've come. But then also sometimes... You can remember where you've been and maybe you haven't come as far as you thought. I, when I turned 30, I had this kind of weird moment. Uh, it was like my angsty birthday. Everybody has that birthday that's like just full of angst, right? For me, it was 30. And when I turned 30, I just thought like I'd be further ahead somehow. I thought I'd be in places that I wasn't. And so I had like this kind of crisis moment when I turned 30. Remembering for me in that moment caused me to consider uh, how far I haven't come in my own mind's eye, if that, if that makes sense. But remembering can carry a sense of nostalgia, but also a sense of regret. We can remember back to those moments where our insecurity caused us to say no to opportunities that we look back on and go, man, I wish I just had the guts to step into it, step into that opportunity. Uh, remembering can inform our present, right? We can remember and we can think of the things that uh, motivated us, the dreams that we had, the pursuits that we had, and it can inform our present. It can inform the way in which we move on from here. And this is especially true for those that are in Christ. If you're watching and you're a believer in Jesus, you are in Christ. You're a Christian. And Paul commands us in this moment we're about to look at as we continue our series in Ephesians. He commands us to remember. To remember. And it changes everything. It unites us. It joins us together in Christ. And it gives us hope. So if you're taking notes, write this down. Remember where you came from who he is, and what you're a part of. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2, 
and we're going to start verse 11. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to get one, visit myevangel.church forward slash Bible, and we would love to resource you with the Bible today. So, Lord, as we dig into your word today, would you lead and guide us in truth? Would you convince us of some things? Would you, Lord, cause us to remember? Would you cause us to remember those moments when we didn't know you? Would you cause us to remember those, that hope that we found, that love that we experienced in coming to know you? And Lord, may that inform our present. May that inform our future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here we go. Verse 11, Ephesians chapter 2. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Paul, Paul calls the Gentiles in this moment, and he's writing to the church in Ephesus and just for a little context, the church in Ephesus would have been primarily a Gentile church that had come to Christ. And keep in mind, Christianity isn't necessarily a new thing. Yes, it's a new covenant in Christ Jesus and all of that, but it's informed by, it comes out of an old covenant. It comes out of the promise that was given to Adam way back in the garden, the promise given to Abraham. And the covenant made there. And, and the promise of a coming Messiah is one that the Jews were holding to in terms of hope for centuries. And now Jesus comes as that Messiah. He shakes up their paradigm and what they thought the Messiah was going to be. And now the Gentiles have this opportunity to come to Christianity in Christ Jesus and, and maybe these Gentile believers maybe felt a little insecure about that. Maybe they felt a little kind of left out, a little insecure to their claim to just kind of come out of nowhere and become believers in the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for for centuries. And so Paul just wants to create this space for these Gentile believers to just remember and to consider and to be at peace with the fact that they are in Christ Jesus and part of this family. Remember, during that old covenant with Israel, where you were left out, he says. That, 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 that moment where you were left out. Remember that. You were alienated. You didn't belong. You were on the outside looking in. You had no Christ, so no Messiah to hope for and to long for. You had no commonwealth with Israel, God's people. And so... You had no sense of identity as God's people did. No promises to cling to in terms of covenant. Having no hope or God in this world. Paul, Paul's laying it on thick here. He's like, remember, remember where you came from. Remember the state you were in. Do, do you remember that? And then he goes, good. Because now we can build on that. Remember where you came from who he is, and what you're a part of. William Barclay writes, To the Gentiles, history was a progress to nowhere. To the Jews, history was a march to God. To the Gentiles, life was not worth living. To the Jews, it was the way to greater life. 
And I want to challenge you with something today. Those of you that are in Christ, I want you to remember back to that old life, to that old paradigm, the way in which you lived in this world, the way you saw this world, the way in which you lived out life. I want you to just take a moment to remember, to consider your life before Christ. How does that inform today? Man, like when I consider my life before Christ and where my ambitions, my mind, my passions would have taken me, man, I can't help but worship. When I remember, that informs my present. That informs my heart of gratitude and thanksgiving and just such um, humble awe that God would pull me out of that trajectory of life. And now he builds on this moment. Paul builds on this moment. He says, remember, when you're on the outside looking in, when you had no hope, you had no Messiah, you had no promise, you had no God. Gentiles, and by the way, Gentiles were those, just simply those that were non-Jews, those that were not of God's people. Those are the Gentiles. That could have been the Greeks, the Romans, all across, like, Gentiles, just anyone who's non-Jewish. And now Paul builds on this moment, and he says, he, he kind of builds on with a big, with a big but here, verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Notice Paul here speaking now, not just to the Gentile, but also to the Jew. He's talking in this metaphor of, of, of one person, two people being made one. And he's talking about the Jewish dynamic and the Gentile dynamic. And in Christ, there's this oneness. And so he says to both of these believers, you are in the Holy of Holies. You have proximity to God. And this is so significant because the Gentiles under the old covenant were barred from much of Jewish activity. Um, in fact, there's a tablet that was discovered in 1871 and it was discovered at the temple site. And it would have been a tablet that would have been a, a sign between the court of the Gentiles, that the Gentiles were allowed in, but then any subsequent courts, inner courts, they were not allowed in. And it said this, let no one of any other nation come within the fence and barrier around the holy place. Whosoever will be taken doing so will himself be responsible for the fact that his death will ensue. And so as we know, like we have these moments of, of division under the old covenant. And these, these moments of division, they created a sense of hostility. In fact, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders in particular, they kind of lost their way by the time the first century hits. They lost their way. Instead of being a people that were called by God to reveal God to the world and to be a blessing to all nations, they had become maybe a little bit of a 
proud and arrogant um, movement. And, and Judaism had kind of shifted and changed into something that was not meant to be. Uh, in fact, uh, the Jewish people will call Gentiles dogs. Uh, if, if a uh, Jewish man or a Jewish woman married a non-Jew, uh, subsequent to that wedding, uh, the Jewish family would throw a funeral for that individual because they'd be dead to them. And so there was this hostility. There was these dividing walls. And yet in this moment, Paul is saying, this is a new thing in Jesus. In Jesus, you are being made one. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So Paul is acknowledging the dividing walls and the barriers between the Gentiles and the Jews here. But he's saying, in Jesus, in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. Verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, the Jews and the Greeks, being made one, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Those differences that we talked about created hostility. So what, 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 what does God do in this moment? Does he create like a new uh, law, a new ordinance, one that, that, you know, brings these two together or else, right? No, it says actually he tore down those laws and ordinances that led to salvation, that led to that unified salvation. He tore those down and he does a new thing, but it's not a new law. It's not a new uh, ordinance. It's not a new written thing that we have to adhere to. No, instead, he sends the one who is our peace. He sends relationally the one who can bridge the gap between the Jews and the Greek, the old covenant and this new covenant coming together in unity and oneness. And I want you to think about the power of the right person in the midst of conflict. Um, if you have two individuals that are fighting, uh, you can do a couple things. You can mediate. You can have a, just a third party mediator come in and go, okay, hey, let's hear it all out. All right, here's what you're going to do. Here's the prescription. And usually in that, the prescription is both parties kind of lose something. Both have to compromise and there's a loss. And, and it's an ordinance. It's, it's a written thing. It's an agreement together. But, but God doesn't do that. I want you to think about how, how powerful it is when you bring in somebody, a third party, not as just a mediator, but a third party that has a relationship with both people, that is respected by both these people in conflict. Both these people in conflict know that this third individual love them and want the best for them. And in that moment, there's this coming together in relationship. So God doesn't write a new law for Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles to come together. He writes and he sends the one who is peace. He sends a mediator. He sends the one that brings them together relationally. And this is what God did. Therefore, killing hostility, Paul says. I love that killing hostility remember where you came from who he is and what you're a part of but christ he did more than just bring us together in peace he he did it by making a new covenant covenant with all of humanity and this covenant is offered not not in the rich history of the law of moses or 
uh, the complicated Levitical law. No, it's offered in the simplicity of relationship with God in Christ Jesus. William Barclay, he, he writes, Jesus ended legalism as a principle of religion. In its place, he put love for God and love for other people. A religion based on love can immediately become a universal religion. So Jesus makes us one. One with him and one with one another. And the only law that we have is love. The only law that we have is love. Love God and love one another. Now, before you get crazy on me, before you start um, <laughs> accusing me of preaching like a progressive gospel, let's unpack a little bit what that means. Love God. Love one another. And... This is not like a free-for-all. To love God is to seek to understand who God is, to seek to understand his will, his character, his holiness. So to love a perfect God means that we have to change. This is not a free-for-all. To love God is to love God in the way that he has designed us to love him. And so we must change. There's radical change involved in loving God. And it's out of this change. It's out of this change, this, this sense of selflessness, this sense of letting go of our own kingdom, adopting his kingdom, uh, letting go of being king or queen of our own heart and allowing him to take the throne. It's out of this that then we love one another out of a changed life, a life that's being perfected in our response of love to him. And so we have this beautiful picture of love radically changing us and radically changing our community and how we love one another. And this is a love that changes everything, but it also brings peace among his people. It brings a sense of unity and peace. It, it kills hostility. Listen, if you're, if, if you're in a church or you're part of church and you have moments of hostility and disunity, there's something wrong. And we have to come first to God and then to one another because God, he kills. In Christ Jesus, he kills hostility. He tears down the dividing walls. Remember where you came from, who he is and what you're a part of. Jesus, our peace, our mediator. This is how we got there. Now keep in mind, Paul is building an argument here. He's building his argument. And in fact, it's not until next week that we are going to discover where he's building this argument to as we kind of delve into chapter three. But for now, we lean into another therefore. We just finished coming out of a but. Now we're coming into a therefore. Verse 19. So then, therefore, so then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this is kind of the summary statement. Here, here Paul moves from the... The, the metaphor of us being uh, two people into one pe person in Christ Jesus. 
But now he's kind of going into something bigger, something bigger than yourself. This is a picture of the church. Notice the foundations of this temple. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure is being joined together. Well, what does this mean? This, this speaks to the inspired word. Uh, this isn't necessarily upon the apostles and the prophets themselves as individuals. No, this is upon the teachings of the apostles, the revelation of the prophets that were given to us through the word of God, coming into perfect alignment with Jesus Christ himself uh, as the cornerstone. Uh, a cornerstone is the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the position of the entire structure. Again, the building of God's temple, the stones being used are God's people, those coming in Christ Jesus. But it's based on the function and the, the perfect cornerstone, Jesus Christ, and the teachings and the revelation of the prophets and the apostles. And so here we have this kind of important moment to lean into. Notice in verse 21, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this, this seems like a progressive and ongoing element to the nature of the church continually growing, being built together as a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And I don't want to kind of over-spiritualize this, but I don't want to under-spiritualize it either. Um, uh, you know, we haven't arrived. If you're part of a church, whether it's this church evangel or another church, you haven't, your church has not arrived. You haven't arrived. In terms of the temple being built for the presence of God, we haven't arrived. And there's two senses in which we haven't arrived. The first is we haven't arrived as individuals, uh, individual stones, if you will, in this living temple for God. We haven't arrived. In your righteousness, your pursuit of looking more and more like Jesus each day, you haven't arrived. And we're being called to this pursuit of loving God. And in loving God, we allow him to change our hearts and our lives because as we discovered last couple weeks, we're not sinning against God's law, we're sinning against his heart. We're breaking relationship as we walk in sin. And so sin and brokenness, we have to say no to in order to come into alignment with the teachings of God's apostles and the prophets and Jesus Christ himself. And so we're never done. We're never, this side of heaven, we're never done. And so we continue to pursue loving God looking more and more like his son each day. But the second part of that is there's still stones out there waiting to be made alive in Christ Jesus. There are people in our communities, there are people around us in our families, in our workplaces, in our places of influence, in our friendships. There are people who have been predetermined by God for salvation, who need to hear and need to have an example and a witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. And that person is you. That person is me. We all have this opportunity to share the salvation 
the witness of what God has done in our lives. Remember where you came from, who he is, and what you're a part of. And so, Lord God, in this moment, as we take just a a second to remember, to consider where we've come from, the life we had when when we were in darkness, that life we had when we didn't know you or have a revelation of you as our living God, our Messiah, our Savior. Lord, I pray that in in remembering those moments that you would cause us to just uh, worship, cause us to just be so thankful for what you've done in our hearts and our lives, where you've taken us. Lord, for those yet to have a living encounter with Jesus, I pray even in this moment, you give us a living encounter and a revelation of Jesus as the Christ, the Savior, the one who came to repair relationship between us and our Creator. And so, Lord, would you do that even now? But Lord, as we remember, Lord, may we consider who you are. You are the cornerstone. You are everything. And Lord, you came not not as a law, not as another ordinance or precept, but Lord, you came as a person to engage all of us, Gentile, Greek, Old Covenant, New Covenant, bring it all together into one. Lord, I thank you that you kill hostility between your people but lord in you you bring peace you bring love you bring this fresh and new law to love god and to love one another and lord as we do that lord would we consider what we're a part of Lord, we are a part of the living temple in this world the temple that carries the very presence of god lord help us to make more and more room for you in our lives as individuals, but Lord, also for you in our church as those that love one another, serve one another, and are on mission. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a little shorter today. Uh, It's summer. Hey, go enjoy the sunshine. Go enjoy this day. God bless you. And remember to remember. Remember.